Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 794th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have the replay of our monthly episode with Rosie on the House, where we chat with Kristen Parsons about guilds. Rosie on the house, every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. Saturday morning tradition since 1988. If you're following along in your homeowner handbook today, we're talking urban farming, former Greg's in studio, and we're talking guilds and fruit trees, and we've been asking ourselves all week long, Farmer Greg, what is a guild? What is a guild? That's what we're going to discover today. Was that a typo? Was it a guad? (laughs) (laughs) No, and uh, they are fun to do, and a big part of it, and I'll let Kristen jump into this here in a minute, but a big part of it is just letting nature be planning the way nature works, which y'all know if you've listened to this show, I'm big time into this thing called permaculture. So we'll talk about that today too. But to get started, Kristen Parsons is a native Texan, went to college in Kansas and ended up in Arizona in 2004. She's been gardening, raising chickens, planting fruit trees, and constructing buildings ever since. She completed her permaculture design course in 2015 and since then has been focusing on local food system development and permaculture. She lives on a half-acre edible landscape property that has over 75 fruit trees in Scottsdale. She and her business partner, Melissa, run Cultivated LLC, a company that provides hands-on workshops, freeze-dried food, and locally grown flowers. How cool is that? Welcome to the show today, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me, Greg and Rosie, team, everybody. It's such a pleasure to be here. Greg has brought you in to explain what is a guad. (laughs) No, guild. I got a burning question. (laughs) Yes, and perhaps it's due to my design background, but guilds are one of my most favorite tools to use in the landscape. And most people have heard about companion planting, but guilds are like companion planting exponentially because it is an entire miniature ecosystem centered around a main tree that is usually a fruit tree. So that's why it ties in so well to what Greg's doing with all the fruit trees is it takes what he's started and gotten everybody encouraged to plant the fruit trees and then it helps you to round out that ecosystem and there's so many benefits that we're going to talk about and other things that are great reasons to give it a try. And Farmer Greg's you know, little bio that he was reading, I heard 75 fruit trees. Do you have 75 guilds on your on this property? Is each one its own? It, it, some, I have multiple trees in the same guild. Okay. You can be very flexible with it. I have some guilds that don't have all seven components, but there are seven components to a formal guild. and And there are certain parts of a guild that can perform multiple functions. So there is a lot of flexibility. You can completely personalize it to whatever you want. But yeah, basically my entire half acre is an edible landscape because of the use of guilds. And so there is not a designated garden area of my yard. Why is a guild such a powerful thing to do in our yard? Okay. If you think about a traditional garden, 
It involves a lot of human interaction. Usually there's neat little rows and you've got to be weeding and you've got to be doing all kinds of extra work and it can become quite a chore, even though it's very enjoyable to be out with nature and um, spending time with the plants. It is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But if you employ a guild, it's less work because you're designing the layout so that different plants perform different functions. And the benefit of that is it can self-sustain. And then the only needed human interaction is for harvesting, really. And that's the fun part, right? That's what we all want to do. So what I hear you saying is that my urban farm where I lived for 32 years, third of an acre near 16th Street in Glendale, was one great big guild. Yeah. Because what I would do pretty much just was harvest food. Exactly. I had about 80 fruit trees on the property and there were things that grew tall above them and mm-hmm. things that grew underneath them. And it's so it's a self-managing process. Is Yeah, it's, it's magical once you notice the ecosystem balancing. And we talk a lot in permaculture about observing and and knowing several other gardeners. There's all these instances of, oh man, the grasshoppers are terrible this year. And I noticed in my own yard, yeah, we had more grasshoppers than usual. But because of those guilds and because of the components of those guilds, mainly the attractors, right? Mm -hmm. I have abundant wildlife in my yard. So I have a bird population that was eating the grasshoppers. Oh, nice. And so I didn't have to do anything, but watch, it was very entertaining. <laughs> so I think that's for the birds. <laughs> I think that's probably what makes this such a powerful concept is that you set systems up that nature manages your process, not you. Exactly. There's no need for chemicals. There's no need for any additional interaction once you find that balance. And so the benefits are everything comes alive. And you get more yield and you get more of everything and a beautiful landscape on top of it. And then most of it's edible, which, I mean, is just such a treat. But it's one of the most powerful tools in permaculture, but it's one that isn't discussed very much because it can be intimidating and it can Mm -hmm. be complex. And so I'd like to try and go through those components and make it simple. We're going to talk about some plants that are specific to our climate here, mm-hmm. but it can be adapted to, to other parts of the state that have other growing climates in the country, really. But if you just Google a guild, you're probably not going to get something that's going to work here. So the, the actual definition of a guild is a beneficial grouping of plants and animals? Yeah, it's really the whole little mini ecosystem. But yeah, mm-hmm. a, a group of plants that are, were designed to work together as a team. Go team. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So we've been talking about permaculture also. Can you define what that is for you? Oh, and I love how you said for you because (laughs) everybody has a different, slightly different version of permaculture. And so for me, and I've touched on that a little bit already, for me, it is quite literal permanent agriculture like my yard is my garden like the landscape is not divided up into ornamental versus functional it can be aesthetically pleasing it can be beautiful while also serving the purpose and so it's i to me i think it's the great solution because it's not overly complex it just is now a half acre Mm -hmm. i'm so i'm assuming the rest of your neighbors are all half acre properties about, yeah. And your house is probably, what, 50, 60, 
70 feet off the front drive street? No, I'm on a cul-de-sac. So oh, the, okay. the house is tucked closer up to the street, and we have one of those weird pie-shaped lots. So it just keeps going, and there's lots of different spaces. You get different experiences and different microclimates in different parts of the yard. So most of this is in the backyard. We don't have a whole lot going on in the front? Correct. I do have some native guilds in the front yard because the front yard faces west, and so we've got mesquite trees. We've got... Well, shade blockers for the house. Exactly. Exactly. So I had to put the really tough plants out front, but it's they're still guilds. So there's penstemon underneath. There's prickly pear cactus underneath. I've got artichokes out there. It's Oh, nice. And most people drive right by and don't realize don't even notice. that it's all food. That's what I was wondering. If somebody, does your house like stand out because there's 75 fruit trees on this mm-hmm. property versus that one? Or could you drive by and, and not even notice? Most people don't notice. There's things that are little giveaways, right? Like the wood chip mulch. <laughs> Instead oh, yes. of having a rock yard. There's wood chip mulch near the plants to cool the root zones, provide that breaks down and, and increases the life of the soil. And it does not attract scorpions. It does not attract termites. Term- that might be a little hint. I've had a couple of people in the neighborhood ask, what are you growing back there? <laughs> say, what am I not growing? <laughs> so Jennifer has a great question, and I'm going to bring it up because you had you were talking about it before we went on air. So Farmer Greg, anybody that's heard our broadcast before knows that the urban farm was on flood irrigation. And yes, you're a big exactly. fan of that. Yep. That's true. Are you on flood irrigation? I am not. I am not. And I have built my drip irrigation system myself. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you can do this with flood irrigation and without flood irrigation. The key, if you don't have flood irrigation, is lots and lots and lots and lots of... Woody mulch. Yes, absolutely. The thicker the woody mulch, the better. That is going to reduce evaporation and allow the dirt to just hold that water. And so you're not just going to be losing it. And you can actually see the relief on the plants in the summer that have the mulch versus plants that don't have the mulch. Those, you can see the stress. So it makes a big difference. I have a question. Absolutely. Not being the gardener, I meet homeowners all the time about their kitchen and bathroom model. And then they start asking me landscaping questions. I say, I don't know. You'll have to ask Romy. But one of the questions I'm asked all the time is, where do I secure this woody mulch? Yeah, good question. So where, how do you get that? Well, and where do you go? You can buy it or you can find somebody that will gladly give it to you. But that's a long waiting line, isn't it? It could be. Answer all the homeowners that are going to ask me this question in the next two weeks. Where do you get it? (laughs) All right. So there's a website called chipdrop.com. And it basically connects you with chipping companies that are managing trees and landscapes and gets them to dump it in your driveway. And sometimes it's a long wait, and sometimes it's a short wait. Can I take any wood at all, or do I have to state I'd like this you wood can, or that wood or this in, wood? In my world, it's all carbon-based woody mulch, and I just take it all. And Yes, w- absolutely. Yeah. All of it. Yeah, take, take what it. you can get. And... Because there's been studies, even oleander breaks down and exactly. is not no longer aleopathic.
talking guilds and fruit trees with Farmer Greg and special guest Kristen Parsons from Cultivated LLC. I'm still very interested about all these components of a guild, but I we're going to save that for the next segment because yes. we're, we're actually going to talk about, you're saying a guild can it be a tree or a cluster of trees, and you've got different specific examples we're going to, you're going to share with us. Absolutely. A mulberry tree is a really easy full sun tree. Mulberries are delicious. You can get lots of them from Greg. And they grow really, really fast and they make amazing and they are legal to have female mulberries. Thank you. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot. Aren't they illegal to keep mulberries? Mm-hmm. It's the male ones they made illegal a long time ago. But when you look at the zoning code for Phoenix, Arizona, it specifically says male mulberries, and we don't sell male mulberries. Male mulberries don't make berries, and the Pakistani mulberry has a about a three-inch long berry that never makes it into the house. That's my perfect breakfast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and these mulberries, to create, you can't plant the male one, but you don't need the male one to get fruit on the female one. Correct. Mm-hmm. I, and I tell people, and this is the only way I've been able to logic it out, I tell people it's like you don't need a rooster to get eggs out of a hen. So the berries aren't necessarily fertile, but they it still makes berries, and they make them prolifically. Yes, they do. I actually think that this past year, the birds got sick of them in my yard because mm-hmm. I have planted... Don't you have something else to eat, lady? I have. Yeah, they're like, what's next? I'm tired of this. Yeah, because I have four mulberry trees so on my property so tell us about your mulberry guild what is that it's a nice large guild i have since i have four different mulberry trees i have some that are separate i have a couple that are just the mulberries and the wood chip mulch and that's it and that's the guild and that's okay we got to build this in layers right you, mm-hmm. you don't need all seven parts up front that's the best part right the more you add the better it gets but i have enough other plants nearby that there's still benefits. And if you have a tree that doesn't have a real pest problem, like a mulberry is great because it's other than the birds wanting to eat your mulberries, right? Or your neighbors want to eat your mulberries. <laughs> like there's not really a pest that targets that tree. You might not need all those same components, which is mm-hmm. great because then it's a great shade tree. You can put a, put a nice hammock under there sometimes and enjoy the shade. So I have a mulberry tree that's a part of a multiple tree guild and this is part of the fun, right? Because when I said companion planting on to the exponential, when you're picking your understory plants that are going to support that guild, you're going to want to plant them where they're going to be happy, right? So I have artichokes on the west side of that mulberry because they can handle the afternoon sun. I plant onions and garlic under there. I plant sunflowers under there because it's up against my fence and there's not much to the east of it. In that particular location, I've got mm-hmm. some sugar cane under there, and then I do annual uh, flowers. That's the other great part about a guild is you can mix annuals and perennials together. Sugar cane? Yes. That's, that's, what, that's a newbie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was uh, – when she said that, I was like, wow, Farmer tell Greg us about that. Like, huh? Yes. So a lot backs a street, and mm-hmm. it's a very popular street for walking and oh, such. Yeah. A lot of my fruit trees that grow over the fence get picked, and I don't mind sharing with my neighbors. But it's been funny because the sugarcane just, it's really cool. It rustles in the breeze and everybody mm-hmm. is pops their head over the fence. What is that? What is that? Because it looks bamboo-ish. Yeah. But it's just a really great kind of 
screen plant, I guess I would say. And okay, so that was my question. What what do you do with the sugar What's cane? What's the function? Oh, I've seen them Juice harvest it, it mm-hmm. and they you have to burn it first. I'm not picturing you're burning your backyard when I you're harvesting. Not, no, uh, <laughs> I mean, point. I do have a machete, but <laughs> <laughs> we just chop it. You, there's a press, and you can run it through the press, and it will juice it. No burning required. And so then what do you do with that juice? You use it as a sugar supplement? Yeah. Anywhere you would use you know, granular sugar, you just use the liquid? Yeah, I usually freeze it in ice cube trays so that I can use it later on because it's best fresh. Oh, my gosh, it's so delicious, fresh. But it doesn't stay long, so I just freeze it. And uh, that was the other thing. When you're growing all these things, you got to get real creative with how to use it all or share it with your community. So we've primarily been talking about the mulberry guild, but Mm -hmm. you've got an apple tree guild to cover, a native tree guild, a multiple tree guild, and we've got 40 seconds before news break. (laughs) Peach tree guild. I guess what I want to convey really is that you can do this with any tree. You can even do this with an ornamental tree, but of course I'm going to pitch a fruit tree just because it's delicious. But the, the point is, there's different combinations that can go with all those different trees. You're not limited. All right, very good. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the seven components. Now, you said not all of your guilds have all seven, but we're going to cover what those seven are and their functions. And I'm just picturing that this is happening on a half acre. What if two or three of your other neighbors did the same thing next to you? And you've got an acre four or five properties you know, you've got a full acre of this park farmer greg's in studio talking urban farming guilds and fruit trees special guest Kristen parsons of cultivated llc now hit me with it what are these seven components for a guild i know you've been you waiting the, so patiently i got the tree i got one <laughs> yes yeah, you got the main Check. tree the main tree the pioneer plant so when we're planting a guild we're going to plant large to small so the tree is a number one then the next one is the repeller. And if you want to think about any plant that is nicely pungent, say garlic, mm. onions, even herbs, anything with a strong smell, oregano, rosemary, that is going to actually serve a purpose that it's going to repel bugs that you don't want in your garden. They don't like that smell. We love those smells, right? right. They don't so much. So the repeller is a very powerful thing because it's saying, shoo, move along to those bad bugs that you don't want. Then we have the suppressor. The suppressor is going to help you reduce your need to weed. And that doesn't actually have to be a plant. As we discussed earlier, that wood chip mulch is a great suppressor. Yes. If you've got at least six inches of wood chip mulch, even if you do get a rogue weed, it just pulls right out because it doesn't have that stronghold. That taproot isn't in our clay soil. Easy weeding if you need to at all. But if you've got six inches of wood chips, you're not really going to have a problem with weeds, which is great because weeding is like the least fun right. thing to do in the yard, well, for me anyway. The other thing about lots and lots of woody mulch, and I, I talk to people in consults about this all the time, you put down six inches of woody mulch, your dust virtually goes away. Yes, there's that benefit and as well. And it smells amazing when we yep. actually get rain, like we've gotten rain recently, and I just go out and just take a deep yoga inhale in my yard <laughs> because it just smells so good. So it doesn't always have to be a plant, but there are plants that will do that for you. Dichondra is a good one. Mm-hmm. Sweet potatoes are a Cow good peas. one. Cowpeas are a great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything that's going to just be a ground cover is going to shade out 
those weeds. And also it provides a benefit in that it's protecting the root zone of that tree. So it's reducing the stress on the tree through our hot summers. Then we have the attractors. Those are the pretty ones. Of course, we got flowers. And mm-hmm. I could talk for an hour about flowers. I'll refrain a little bit, but I have to talk about flowers a little bit because we have so many flowers that can grow and bloom almost year-round here. Yeah. I have flowers coming out of my yard 10 months out of the year, which is fantastic. And the bees are happy. The hummingbirds are happy. The birds are happy. The butterflies are happy. And that makes me happy, just seeing all that in my yard. And Plus, that, mm-hmm. when I used to farm my yard here in Phoenix in the late 90s, uh, I would also harvest the flowers and take cut flowers to the farmer's market. And every week, the first thing that would disappear? Flowers. The cut flowers, that's right. Flowers make everybody happy. Yeah. And the best part about locally grown flowers with no pesticides on them, Mm -hmm. is most of them are also edible. So most people that hesitate to buy flowers say, oh, it's just going to die anyway. And I say, leave it on your dining table for a week and enjoy the blooms, right? You get a benefit from just experiencing being in their presence and then make them into a delicious meal afterwards. And so (laughs) it's not like it's got to go in the compost or anything, but it also does well in the compost too. So the attractors are great. That's what's going to keep your pollinators coming because your fruit tree bloom window mm-hmm. is only a couple of weeks. Yep. And so you need those pollinators to already be in your yard, happy and there. And they'll be like, oh, look, something else is blooming for me to snack on. And then you get more fruit. So there's huge benefits to those attractors. So that's number four. We've got the main tree, the repeller, the suppressor, the attractor. Yeah, we are rolling through them. And then we have the fixer. It's not mafia-esque, okay? (laughs) We're talking about nitrogen fixing, right? Plants need to eat, right? And if there's available nitrogen in the soil, those plants are going to be happy. And there are legume-based plants that actually put nitrogen in the soil That wasn't there before. And so your plants are feeding your other plants. That's exactly what we're talking about, that ecosystem helping each other out. And fava beans, peas, vetch, even some of our native trees are leguminous, right? So you get Palo Verde trees that make a a bean that you can steam like edamame, if you don't know. Mm -hmm. Those are delicious. And so the tree is also serving the dual purpose of also being the fixer. And so you'll notice like some of these dual purpose plants mean you don't need seven plants to make a guild, right? You can get away with four or five because you've got some of those, I call them like multifunction superstars. Those plants that are doing doing multiple things for you. I'm like, thank you overachieving plant. And then we have a mulcher. Number six is a mulcher. That's just a a plant that's going to shed its leaves and provide living mulch in addition to the wood chip mulch. Yes, great. One of the things that I did when I was here at the Urban Farm was I had my neighbors trained to bring me their leaves in the fall. Please, please, please don't rake up your leaves and throw them away. There is no way, first of all. Secondly, all those leaves have nutrients in them that your plants need. And our soil needs. And our soil, exactly. So leave the leaves. That's a really good way of putting it. A little promotion there. Leave the leaves. And then it's less work, too, to leave (laughs) those leaves, which is really nice. I'm a bit of a lazy gardener. Most people think that I have a full-time job in my yard with that many plants. But actually, 
it's pretty self-sufficient the yeah. way I've got it set up. And that's another benefit of the woody mulch is because then it's not as obvious that there's the leaves because it breaks down really fast and it mm-hmm. just looks good. And so it's not. So if it's not a tree that's the mulcher, what would be another plant that you could use? Greg knows. Cowpeas are a bean that is edible. It's edible as the bean when they're small, and the pea that comes out of the bean can be made into flour, and it's a nitrogen fixer. It loves to grow throughout the summer, and then in the fall it dies back when it frosts, and you just leave that stuff in place, and it just makes mulch for the next year and the next year and the next year. And the nice thing about cowpeas is they'll come back year after year once you get them planted and established. That was my next question. Will it come back or do you have to replant? No, that's the beauty of this guild edible Mm -hmm. landscape thing. I love plants that plant themselves. (laughs) Dozens and dozens of different varieties I used to have at the urban farm when I lived there that would just come back year after year. Nasturtiums are another one just like that. Yep. Now, question, when you say you like plants that plant themselves, you, that, that is great. But in, in our orchard, I have to constantly be pulling out mesquite and palo verde because mm. I don't want them. We have a lot of both of those on the property. Yeah. And some years we'll have a bunch of sprouts come up. Some years we will have hardly any. But I don't want those mesquites to overtake my peach, my apple, so right. I'm, and my fig. So I'm constantly pulling those out. Do you have to do on yours a lot of that maintenance? You're laughing. <laughs> Only where there's rock. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Only where there's rock. Sorry to sound like a rock hater, but... We are. You don't get that on the mulch side where it's mulched. It's not nearly as bad on the mulch. And again, like I said, if you do get one in the mulch, it pulls real easy. Whereas the ones in the rock, you've got to really – Plus a a lot of these are annuals rather than perennials. So the mesquites are perennials. Mm -hmm. We're talking annuals, the cowpeas, the sweet potatoes, the – Sweet alyssum, nasturtium. Yeah, they're all annuals. They just – they run their entire life cycle in one season. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you leave them, they'll reseed themselves, and, and you won't mind that they've reseeded themselves. Yeah. I have a calendula forest <laughs> nice. in one part of my yard because I just, when I, when they froze back or burned in the summer, I just sprinkled the seed heads, and I was like, all right, don't have to plant any calendulas yeah. for next time. And, this is the lazy gardener coming out in oh, us. I know, but you know what? That's what we do, and we get an abundance anyway, don't we? Yeah, oh, yes. So the last one is the accumulator. So an accumulator is a debated layer of the guild, actually. Some people are like, you don't need that. But you know what? Anything that's going to help, I'm going to say, let's talk about it at least. So an accumulator is something that, so in your soil, there might be a bunch of minerals that may or may not be available to your main tree. Mm Mm-hmm. That a lot of depends on pH, it depends on moisture, it depends on the health of the soil, right? And the best part about the accumulator is it mines those minerals from the soil and gets them up into the root zone. They usually have a big tap root, right? And so they're going down there, they're getting the good stuff, and then they make it available to the other plants. And they do it for you. And one of the best parts about some of the popular accumulators is their weeds. Like in all caps right yes, there. dandelions. Dandelions, <laughs> that's right. And dandelions are edible. Yes, and quite nutritious, actually. They get a bad rap, but they're actually doing a lot of good work in the yard. Yarrow is an, an, another great one. Mm-hmm. And yarrow is another one that will reseed itself and be happy everywhere. But you can make tea out of it. 
edible flowers. So that's a great plant. And then amaranth, which is a grain that grows really well here. And that will probably also reseed itself. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) And this whole notion of letting them reseed themselves, what we have to do, our job in our yard is to make the soil plant and seed ready. Mm-hmm. adding lots and lots of woody mulch. Don't throw away those leaves. Get them mulched. Adding compost and those kinds of things throughout the year so that after 32 years at the urban farm, I had 18 to 24 inches of amazing growing topsoil on top of the rock underneath that was in my yard. And that just came from working with nature. Yeah. The thing that our soil is lacking the most is organic matter. And most people just have it blown away and hauled away. Right. And it just breaks my little heart because I'm just like, that poor soil. It it wants that. It wants to keep that and nurture it and love it. And, yeah. And I have places in my yard where I can stick a shovel in the ground and it just goes straight to the hilt, which is great. I don't have to work hard to work the soil because of these practices. And then I have the places where there's rock or where it's been undisturbed soil for forever, and you put this shovel and it goes, tink! <laughs> <laughs> Learning about guilds from Kristen Parsons of the Cultivated, along with Farmer Greg, the lazy farmers, gardeners. <laughs> we'll take it. Self, bring self-proclaimed. It on. Bring that it works. on, baby. All right, let's bring it on home. Final segment here in the Outdoor Living Hour with Farmer Greg. and We've got of uh, the Urban Farm, along with guest Kristen Parsons of Cultivated, and we've been talking and you've been educating us on what a guild in our yard is. And a lot of people have them already, didn't even know it. Great. So, you, you know, with just a couple more steps and mm-hmm. add the, what do you, the, the accumulator, add an attractor, add a suppressor, mm-hmm. add a repeller. You know, there's very little that can be done in a lot of our yards to bring it up to this concept that's very interesting. But what do you do with all of it? You keep talking about there's an abundance. There's more than you can consume. Do you just have a massive compost pile with all the extras? <laughs> That's the thing about nature. I've said this for years that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look at the massive amount of abundance of leaves, mm-hmm. of peaches, of apricots, of mulberries, of flowers that come out of our landscapes, it's sometimes mind-blowing. <laughs> yes. I tell people I did it to myself. Like – I enjoy it. I planted a lot more than the average homeowner, and I realize that. But that's because it's my jam. My yard is my therapy. It's my gym. Like, it serves so many other purposes for me. So I hope that we've inspired people to round out those guilds so that they can just enjoy. Because that's one of the best parts about where we live, right? Is so much of the year we get to be outside in it and enjoying it. And so hopefully that... We've inspired some folks to round out those guilds and also tell other people about the guilds and be like, hey, I learned a new thing. Let's put it into action. So the best part about all that abundance for me is that I have turned it into little micro income streams and have changed my business. I used to do edible landscape design, but then after having my son and then coming back to it, I knew that I wanted to rebrand my business to be more of a lifestyle Right, because like urban homesteading is a whole lifestyle. It is, absolutely. And preserving, the worst thing is to grow something for a long time and then just watch it go bad, right? And so two years ago, two and a half years ago, I bought some freeze dryers. And I've always canned and I've dehydrated and I've preserved food in lots of different ways. 
but the freeze-drying was a new thing that opened up so many possibilities to me. And so now I'm happy to say that I have a local grown freeze-dried food line. Nice. Including? early in development, but... What do you freeze-dry? So, uh, what don't I freeze-dry? Give us some examples. (laughs) Okay, you can freeze-dry anything other than honey or nut butters. Mm -hmm. You can even freeze-dry some dairy. I wish I would have known about that when I had a cow. (laughs) Side note. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because I was swimming in milk. But I... All the fruit that we don't eat fresh gets freeze-dried. The herbs get freeze-dried. And I'm freeze-drying those herbs within an hour of harvesting them so they retain their volatile oils. And a freeze-dried herb is so much more potent than an air-dried herb. It's amazing. It's so good. So I'm making botanical salts, botanical sugars. I'm selling fruit powder and then um, flavored creamed honeys. So it's local honey, local fruit. Uh, as much as we can, because we've got it. And so we're using the freeze dryers to preserve it and then turn it into products to share with everybody. There's freeze drying, and then I like to vacuum seal. Okay, now you went, ooh. Uh, (laughs) Can you put those herbs in a vacuum seal pack as well once you freeze them? I can. However, I do not have a commercial kitchen, so I would have to do extra work, extra legwork to make the health department happy if I was going to be vacuum sealing. That, re- that requires an extra permit. But somebody at home could. Yes, if somebody at home wants to get into it, and then we'll have classes on all of that. So tell me about Cultivated. What will somebody experience if they come to Cultivated LLC? We just got a commercial space on the corner of 32nd and Shea in Phoenix, and it's, a, it's just a small little boutique workshop space, and we'll be able to garden at that space too, so we'll have hands-on gardening classes. And we'll do citrus juicing. We have a commercial citrus juicer. So if you've got an abundance of citrus that you're looking at and you're thinking, how on earth am I going to juice all this by hand? Because I've been there. I know what it's like. Yeah. I'm so excited about this because uh, a few (laughs) years ago, Don Titmus and I bought a mesquite bean mill and it was about $15,000. And the other thing we were considering back then was a commercial citrus juicer. Those are the ones that you pour the citrus in the top and it cuts it in half and juices it. Guess what? Cultivated LLC has one. We have And they will juice your citrus for you. We'll do a five-gallon bucket of citrus for $25. Nice. So as many five-gallon buckets as you want to bring will save you a ton of time. And it doesn't have to be one, this is my orange tree, this is my lemon tree, this is my grapefruit tree. What we have found in our orchard is when we juice citrus, mm-hmm. we mix, mix them, them up. together? Yeah. yeah. Really? And it's every time it, the glass is different, every time your drink is different, it's like a surprise. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Bring some that lemon in, bring idea. some lime in, bring the pink lady grapefruit, get the navel mm-hmm. orange, and we'll, we'll juggle with the different sizes. And a lot of the... You, you can have a really acidy citrus mm-hmm. drink. Yeah. It, when you mix them, it, it, it takes that out. Yeah. Nice. So we got about 30 seconds left. If somebody's interested in planting trees, mm-hmm. the pop-up nursery is open. Fruit Tree pop-up nursery open this weekend at fruittrees.org. There's a phone number on there if you want to call us for the location, but it's on the corner of 7th Street and Meadowbrook in Phoenix, and we're open till 3 today and tomorrow. Citrus and citrus is in the fall. This is okay. deciduous. Peaches, apricots, apples, plums, pomegranates, mulberries. mulberries. <laughs> Urbanfarm.org. And Kristen, your website? It's www.cultivatedllc.com. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.